Good morning, Chapel Downtown. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you so much. You can be seated. How's everybody feeling this week? Good? I want to look at the back of the room at the camera and say good morning, Chapel Downtown. Hope you're having an amazing uh, morning, 930. Good morning. We're so excited. Our last uh, handful of weeks there at our building in the fan, moving to Scott's Edition. What an exciting season. Love you guys. Excited about all God's going to do. And uh, this is a great weekend uh, for you to be new with us. We're launching a brand new series on relationships. So in your worship guide is a little note sheet. If you want to take that out, you can follow along. And man, our lives don't rise any higher than our relationships. And, and this, is, this is sort of the relationship month, isn't it? All right, public service announcement for you. It's Valentine's Day this Friday, okay? Come on, nudge the person next to you and tell them it's Valentine's Day Friday. Come on, tell them that downtown. Valentine's Day Friday. So we're a full-service church, just reminding you of that. And uh, so, man, it's a month that we, we think about love and we think about uh, chocolate hearts and little babies floating in the clouds with arrows. And, and man, uh, Valentine's Day just has us thinking about relationships. And so we're beginning a brand new teaching series this month. It's, it's really based upon the book of First and Second Samuel, and it's in the life of King David. And we're looking at how he handled relationships. And in fact, David, David did, did some relationships really well and some really bad. In fact, it, probably if you have any knowledge of church, when you think of David, you think of a real tall giant named, help me out, named who? Named Goliath, right? That nine-foot-tall Philistine that David defeated that sort of initiated his ministry and proved his power. And, and, and man, what a great story. But not only do you probably think of that great victory in David's life, David and Goliath, you might also think of a, of a failure in David's life with David and, somebody help me out, David and Bathsheba, yeah, where he made a mistake. And so we're diving into his life this month. We're going to look at how our relationships define so much of who we are, how God wants the best for our relationships. Uh, so much of his will and purpose in our life is connected to the people we're in community with and our close relationships. And next week, just so you know, next week we're going to deal with the subject of how to forgive and how to forgive often. And, and so if, you, uh, if you've been a part of friendships or family or you've been married more than six months, how many know you have to learn how to forgive, right? And so we're going to talk about that next week and, and what happens when we don't do that, a great uh, part of David's life. But this weekend, we're going, to, we're going to jump right in, okay? So this is like a serious week. This is, this is David's big, big failure in life. And I want to just say this, stay till the end because it'll get good, okay? But it's going to get bad before it gets good. And the story of David is, is a story, the Bible says, of a man after God's own heart. And it's actually kind of surprising because when you read the Bible, you see all his problems and his mistakes. David, David wrote half of the Psalms, about 75 of the chapters in the book of Psalms are the songs he sings are, are, are written by him. And, and yet in this chapter we're going to look at today, he, he uh, committed adultery and then he had her husband murdered and a bunch of other uh, warriors murdered and he lied. He broke half of the Ten Commandments. How many know that's a bad day? 
And yet at the end, God was gracious. Anybody thankful this weekend that God's grace is greater than all of our mistakes? Anybody thankful for that, right? So we're not going to, but we want to learn some things about purity in our culture. And I just want to say this, our culture speaks often and consistently on sexuality. And I just want you to know that God, God created us sexual beings. And so he doesn't blush in that. And, and in fact, I'm kind of convinced that the church sometimes stays quiet about some of these cultural issues. And on my heart is to be a little bit more outspoken about that. Them. How many know the one who uh, created it can define it, right? And so, uh, and that, in fact, that's kind of how I'm thinking in this series, that, that the one who designed it can define it. And that God is the one who designed us, our humanity, and made us who we are. And, and God designed it to uh, our sexuality to be expressed within the confines of marriage and why that's the best and not, not a downer. So I want to talk about this this weekend, and it's going to be really fun. It's going to be a little serious, okay? But we're gonna, I think it's going to help us this weekend. And in fact, uh, the whole story of David's mess up, it, it starts in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 1. The Bible says, in the spring of the year when kings, what? When kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. And they destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. I want you to see this. When David normally pushed forward into battle, he decided to stay home and get in trouble. How many know if you got too much time on your hands, you're going to make a mistake? Anybody got kids? And if you give them nothing to do, in fact, I realize this with four kids, the greatest fear is not that they would be loud and fight. It's when things get eerily quiet. Come on. So, I mean, something really bad is going down, you know? And, and David, David, instead of pursuing what God has for him, David's a man of the battle. In fact, that's, when, that's where his first ministry started. That's where he sort of, God used him greatly to, to, to defeat Goliath. And, and whenever David was in battle, the nation of Israel was secure and God was doing great things. But at this moment, he doesn't go to battle. And let me give you a little context. In that day, these are farmers. These are ranchers. And so every spring there would be disputes about land and the boundaries of land. And it was a king's duty to lead the, 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 um, the military out and, and provide security and protection for the people. And so David would have done this springtime after springtime after springtime, led the army out to, to settle disputes and reestablish the land and provide protection. But he decides this year he's going to chill. He's going to binge watch Netflix this year. He's going, he's going to have breakfast in bed and lunch in bed and dinner in bed. And it gets him in trouble. I want you to write a couple things down. Here, here's the first thing I see here, that, that without purpose, you'll find problems. How many know that's true? When you, when you stop pursuing some things, when you start pulling back and you have nothing to do, nowhere to go, and when David's on the battlefield, God's hand is on him in a strong way, but when David has time alone and he's not where he should be and he's not at the right time, this is the, the seeds of the brokenness in David's life. This is the crack that will eventually lead to the erosion of the foundation of his life because he doesn't stay connected and committed to what God has for him. In fact, I wrote this down this week, that there are few things in life more dangerous than a bored man. <laughs> that, that literally, that literally too much, I mean, I think my mom used to say idle hands. What did she say? Idle, help me out. Idle hands are like the devil's toolbox or workshop, you know what I mean? Man, I think there's something to that. 
When David's out on the battlefield, when he, that's his calling, that's his gifting, that's his sweet spot. When he's on the battlefield, he's accomplishing a lot. He's making progress. He's, he's, he's in the sweet spot that God has for him. But when he's, when he's not on the battlefield, when he's, when he's not where he should be, he's alone in his bedroom walking around the rooftop, he gets in trouble. I really believe that the, that the battlefield brings out the best in us. But, but the rooftop, the rooftop, brings out the worst in us. And David eases up and doesn't go after what God has for him. And in that moment, there comes trouble and difficulty and challenge. And I, I want you to see the problem before the problem, because what we're tempted to see is just the big problem. But before the big problem, there were little problems. And how many know there are, the, the, you don't just get in a big problem without some little problems happening before the big problem? Anybody help me out? Like Nobody's like, whoop, I ruined my whole life. How many know there were little ruined my whole lives all along, along the, the way until you had a big ruin my whole life? Anybody, right? And David lets that little crack in instead of going out where he should be, where God's called him to be, on the battlefield. He, he was made for war. He was wired for war. But instead, he's chilling and, and hanging out. In fact, I want you to see how lazy he has become. Late one afternoon after his midday rest. Some of you, this is your Bible verse. This is a bad one. Like, no, 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 late after one afternoon, after his, I like a morning rest, a midday rest. <laughs> David got out of what? Come on. Got out of bed. Let me just say this. I, I believe that laziness creates an opening in our life for other things. And David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. And as he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Well, this is awkward. <laughs> now, let, let me just say this. Uh, temptation isn't the first notice. It's the second. It, it, sin isn't the first notice. It's the second. Temptation is to see it. Sin is to fixate on it. And so, and so this is a reality. How many will just admit you, you recognize beautiful people? Come on. Anybody? That's why you come to this church for the preacher. And I understand that. <laughs> I don't want to make anyone stumble. I just want to go on the record. I mean, David hasn't done anything wrong. He, he's right now, he's kind of where he shouldn't be, and there's some slothfulness setting into his life that I think is going to open his life to a problem. But as he's walking along the rooftop, he still hasn't, he still hasn't ruined his life, okay? But, but he's walking there, and the Bible says he notices a beautiful woman, and she's taking a bath. Now, this is a time to keep walking and go back inside, right? All right, I can change the sermon if we don't agree on that. All in favor, say aye, right? All right that's not his wife. And, and now people say, did Bathsheba know he was there? And, and did, did she do it on purpose? We have no idea. The text doesn't say if she knew he was there. And the text doesn't say if David waited till her husband went off to war. N nothing, nothing is said there in that. Except let me just say this, that women, I think there's a difference uh, between making yourself attractive and making yourself seductive, Right? And, and, and I think the second one is wrong, and, and men should, should not objectify women and should have purity in their heart. But how many know you can do a little bit to help too? Anybody? Okay, we'll, we'll get on that another week, okay? But David's in a moment, and I want you to see this, because it's going to be true in your life, in my life. We, we can expect perfection, but I want you to expect something different in life. I want you to expect temptation. How many know temptation is a part of life? And when we're super spiritual and say that's not true, we miss out on the honesty of what, what real life is. Real life is being tempted. 
Jesus was tempted. Matthew 4, Luke 4, he was uh, taken into the wilderness, led by the Spirit, and for 40 days he was tempted. But to be tempted is not to sin. To be tempted, let me just give you the definition. Temptation is the presentation and opportunity to sin. So it's seeing a problem, and then we have a choice whether or not to give in to that thought and walk down that road or to fight it, you know. Somebody said, sow a thought, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a destiny, right? So it's not the, not the notice, it's the fixation. Martin Luther said, it's not a problem for a bird to fly over your head, but it is a sin to let it build a nest in your hair. Come on. Got to tell you, the other day in the, uh, in the church parking lot, there was a, I got in my car and I heard this noise behind me and there was a bird in my back seat. So I just was scared. I don't know why. When you're in a closed car with a bird, I'd left the window down like this much, but I, I opened the door and I was like, oh, my word. So I opened another door and, and, the, and then I opened all four doors and I stood there and the bird just stood there and looked at me. And I said, what's wrong with this bird? So I came in the office and, and Dina was in the office and I said, Dina, Dina's our admin. I said, Dina, there's a bird in my car. And she said, oh, do you want me to get it out for you? I said, well, now that you say it, that would be awesome. And uh, a couple years ago in our old building, there was a squirrel in the building. And she remembered, I locked myself in the office. So she takes a coat hanger, goes out to my car, sticks her head in there, and just swings, and, and it flies out. And I said, oh, I would have done it. But um, thanks for doing that anyways, you know. You know, it's not a sin to let a bird fly over, but it's a sin to let a bird build a nest, right? And David's in a moment where he's facing temptation. And Proverbs actually gives a metaphor of when our sexuality is not controlled. Here's what it says, Proverbs 5, 5. Her feet, sin, sexual sin, go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. And I know our culture says, no, 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 that there's nothing bad. And people just express themselves and there's no consequences to that. But how many know there is a consequence to not doing things God's way? In fact, the Bible says that sexual sin is a sin that's different than other sins because it's a sin against our own body. And there's a bonding that takes place with another person. And here's what temptation does in our life. Temptation asks you to do what feels good in exchange for what is good. And David, I'm sure if he could, he could redo this moment, would have said, son, get back in that room, lock the door. It's time to, it's time to go play some ping pong or call a buddy, okay? But he doesn't. He takes another step in temptation. Look what he does. He sent someone to find out who she was. And he was told she's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Don't you feel like the messenger has given him a hint? Who is she? David. She, she, she's, she's the daughter of Eliam. The wife of your, don't you feel the messenger sin? No, 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 don't you do that. I want to just say this to every young guy in this room here, Midlothian downtown. There's a good chance that you won't marry the first girl you date. So I want you to think of this. When you're dating a girl, that may one day be someone else's wife. So why don't you treat her that way? This is good preaching this morning. I'm telling you, it's good. <laughs> that, that's someone else's daughter. That's someone else's wife. 
I think we live in a world of objectification, of just finding our own uh, needs met through using other people. I think there needs to be a revival in the hearts, catch this, of godly men that will exhibit self-control and integrity and will not use women or act in that way. I really think that's God's call, yeah. And David in this moment has a choice of how he's going to act and how he's going to react. The servant is kind of telling him that it's someone else's wife and, and, and you shouldn't really do this. But, but, but David, David doesn't do it right. And David sent messengers to her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. He saw, he sent, he asked, he slept. Boom, 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 like this. And the ripple effects that would destroy her family, his family, were set in motion. Now let me just say this, there's grace and forgiveness on the other side. We're going to see it in a few minutes. But oh, if David could redo this. Because sin took him further than he wanted to go and cost him more than he wanted to pay and kept him longer than he wanted to stay. And it was going to rob his life. It was going to rob her life of meaning. It was going to bring in the, the loss of a child, the pain of her life, the eventual loss of her husband, army, pain in the nation. All of this happened because David could not control himself. In fact, David doesn't know what to do. He takes Bathsheba. She becomes pregnant. Oh, no. What's he going to do in the middle of all this? And so he does something interesting. He sends a note to the army and brings back her husband, Uriah. And he kind of sits him down and says, this is a phony sham meeting. He says, uh, give me a status of how the battle's going. And so over a glass of lemonade, Uriah gives him a, 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 an update on the battle. And David said, okay, that's great. I'll, I'll send you back to the battle tomorrow. Why don't you go home and stay home tonight? And David's hoping that he'll be with his wife and then there'll be an explanation for why she's pregnant. And I want you to see the stark contrast, the discrepancy between the lack of integrity in David and, and, the, and, and, the, and the morality and character of Uriah as he sends him home. He doesn't sleep in his own home. He sleeps on the, uh, on the outside, on the, on the front steps. And David says, why'd you do that? And he says, my master's men are camping in open fields. How could I go home to wine and dine and sleep with my wife? I swear that I would never do such a thing. The character of Uriah. David tries it again. He gets him drunk. Same thing happens the next night. Eventually, David will put in his hands a note for Joab, the commander of the army, a plan to put Uriah in the center of the battlefield, withdraw the troops, let him be killed on the, on the, uh, on the battlefield so that David can marry Bathsheba, cover up his sin. Boom, 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 boom. And all at once, people's lives are unraveling. And David is in a cover-up mode where he's trying to, to prove that he's trying to figure this thing out and cover it up. And I'm just amazed at Uriah's integrity compared to David's lack of integrity. He's not honest. Let me just say this. I think we're living in a world where we need more honesty. In fact, I don't want to get caught up there, but the Bible calls the devil the father of lies. And God is a God of truth. We need to be people of truth and I feel like people are telling lies and all kinds of things in life. In fact, I, I saw this on eBay. Couch, sofa, $250. It's slightly used couch, soft, gray, no pets. Really? Because there is a cat in your picture. <laughs> and man, all of us have known what it's like to cut a corner or to cover it up. But, but let me just say this. There's... Freedom and healing 
in sharing our struggles and, and sharing it with one another and finding forgiveness and healing. I really believe that everybody doesn't have to know, but somebody does. And David's in a moment where his life is unraveling and he needs hope and life and a future. Now, now maybe you're here this weekend and you say, this is a big story about a king who killed people and, and, and committed adultery. That, that could never be me. Well, here's number three. Come on, say it out loud with me. Come on, never say what? Never say never. How many know when you say that could never be me, you're wrong? How many know within our human being, within our human heart, is a propensity to do the wrong thing? Anybody have toddlers? How many know built within the human DNA is a sinful heart, right? People say the baby is so cute. I just see a ball of sin and selfishness. I've never had a baby that said, you sleep. I'll, I'll, I can eat later. They want, you ever had your, your baby mad and you thought, if this baby had human strength, it'd be a murderer. It's just so <laughs> nasty. And, and uh, to, you know, my, my sister who just had a baby, she plans everything and her baby's kind of kicking her butt at night and I'm enjoying it from a distance. And uh, she said to me, the baby just keeps waking up. What do I do? And I said, you have to like be a mom, I guess. I don't know, you know. But it doesn't work in your planner, so <laughs> I'll pray for you, but I'm also loving it. And uh, <laughs> some of us say, that can't be me. I have the answers. No, no, no. Never say never. Let me tell you why, because this is the man who wrote a lot of the Bible. This is a man who was a man after God's own heart. This was a man who was used by God to defeat Goliath. And we've got to remember that even in our own uh, relationship with Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus taking away our sins, we are still human. And, and now I know you say to me this weekend, Brandon, this is the 930 service. The 1115 is when the, all the like sinful people come. And the 430, they couldn't even get up all morning. So like, <laughs> preach it to them. But how many know that even though we walk by faith and we have a relationship with Jesus, we are still human? Any people here this weekend recognize you're still human? Any, any, any humans in the room? Come on, downtown. Any human? Turn to the person next to you and tell them you're, you're human. Go out and tell them that. You're, you're human, right? In fact, for the Christian, for the Christian, sin no longer reigns, but it remains. <laughs> what that means is that sin doesn't have to control you, but it still exists within you. We're all human, right? All of us. And for the Christian, sin may no longer reign or rule us or control us, but we, there still remains in us um, the brokenness and propensity to sin. So David, David hatches a plan. It's really sad to have Uriah killed on the battlefield, and he, and he dies, and David takes Bathsheba as his wife, and he thinks he can cover up his plan, and then God sends him a friend, a prophet named Nathan. And I want you to see what Nathan does and says to him. Second Samuel chapter 12, God sent Nathan to David, and Nathan said to him, there was two men in the same city, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had huge flocks of sheep, herds of cattle. The poor man had nothing but one little female lamb, which he had bought and raised. It grew up with him and his children and as a member of the family. It ate off his plate and drank from his cup and slept on his bed. That's pretty weird to share a plate with a lamb, but okay. It was like a daughter to him. And one day a traveler dropped in on the rich man. He was too stingy to take an animal from his own herds or flocks to make a meal for his visitor. So he took the poor man's lamb and prepared a meal to set before his guest. 
David exploded in anger. As surely as God lives, he said to Nathan, the man who did this ought to be lynched. He must repay the lamb for the lamb four times over for his crime and his stinginess. Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. David, come on, help me out. What? What? You're the man. Hey, David, this wasn't a story about a lamb. This was a story about you. Ouch. How many know we all need some people in our lives who can tell us the truth? Anybody know a real friend tells you when you have broccoli in your teeth? Come on. You ever gotten home from a meeting, you have something in your teeth, and you think to yourself, who was I with that would not tell me that? How could you betray me? I agree. Here, just write this down. I think we need to be a Nathan and go get some Nathans. Hey, hey, let me tell you what a real friend is. It's not somebody who tells you you're the best. You always do it right. You've never done anything wrong. Oh, my goodness. Ha, ha, ha. You're so good. It's a friend who says, hey, you were kind of a jerk, and you should change it. How many know we need real friends who can tell us the real truth to spare us from some mistakes in our life, right? And, and David has a man named Nathan come to him. And really, my own son's going to have his cell phone go off in this I'm sorry, my own son's cell phone. Carter, stand up. I'm going to take that phone. Come on. You shouldn't have it in church, and you got your ringer on. Okay, and it's Nate's son FaceTiming you. Here, here. No more phones. You girls, hand them in. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we don't need this technology in your generation. No, I'm just kidding. You need some people, who, bro, who can tell you the truth. We should do that at the 1115 service. You want to? <laughs> I have a rule with my kids. When I use them as illustrations, I have to pay them some money, but um, not when they bring themselves into it. <laughs> um. I don't know what's so funny, but we need, we need some people who can tell us the truth, who can tell us the truth. I remember uh, Katie and I started dating when I was 15. She was 16. I was dating an older woman, you know, and uh, <laughs> we've been married 20 years. A few, a couple years after, uh, a couple years after we had been dating, she said to me, man, I'm so glad we never broke up that time I tried to break up with you. And I said... When was that? <laughs> Sincerely had no memory of her ever. I said, what do you mean trying to break up with me? She said, you remember that time I told you I was confused? And you said, well, take your time. And she was like, I was trying to break up with you. And I said, you were? I thought you were just a little guy. I was like, I don't know. She told me she was confused. I was like, ah, no problem. You know, I just stuck around. <laughs> I have a high hope quotient. And, uh, and so she was like, I'm just so glad you didn't, you kind of stayed around even though I was trying to break up with you. And I, I was like, I didn't know you were trying to break up with me. And now I'm really confused, right? We need some people who can be straight with us, right? <laughs> who can be direct, who can point out things. And David, David has made some mistakes. And a man comes into his life. I want you to see this. The, the Bible says that the wounds of a friend are to be trusted. How many know that's true? A good friend says, don't do that. A good friend says, don't say that. A good friend says, you know, when you, when you said that, you kind of came across as a jerk, you know. And, and, and you could do better than that. How many want to have godly relationships in your life where people can speak the truth to you rather than have you have to learn it the hard way? Anybody? Yeah. 
Let's be a Nathan for other people. Not, not mean, but, but, but with kindness and love, but also with some directness. Let's speak the truth to one another. Let's be a Nathan, and, and let's get some Nathans in our life. Long story short, Nathan uh, confronts David. David confesses his sin. You can see this in Psalm 51 and Psalm 32, his repentance. He immediately, his heart falls uh, flat before the Lord. He opens it. He turns from his sin. And here, here's how Nathan says it. And it's, I'm, I'm sort of fast forwarding a little. Nathan says, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. I have great news this weekend. On the cross, Jesus Christ took our sin on himself away from us. Anybody thankful for that this weekend? That there's forgiveness in the cross of Jesus Christ, the Lord. Now I want you to think of this. I calculated this week how many sins. David broke half of the Ten Commandments in a couple of days. That's bad. He coveted his neighbor's wife. He committed adultery, he lied about it, bore false witness, murdered. Not only did David murder Uriah, but just so you know, because he had to put Uriah in a dangerous place in the battle to cover it up, there would have been other soldiers that would have died as the army pulled back. His actions are now taking the lives of other people. In fact, we don't have time to look at it, but do you know who Uriah is? Uriah is a guy in the beginning of David's life called part of a group called David's Mighty Men. Early in David's life, he was fleeing from King Saul, who was trying to kill him. And, he, and as he was a fugitive, there were some friends of his that voluntarily came alongside of him and risked their life to protect him. Catch this. David owed his life to Uriah. And yet he did the opposite. He betrayed him, and he murdered him. And how many know when you break half the Ten Commandments in a day, that's bad? David could never run for political office today. Or maybe he could. Who knows? But <laughs> don't send me an email. But uh, <laughs> the Lord has taken away your sin. Reminds me of Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. The psalmist is saying, picture this, go to infinity all the way east and to infinity all the way west. And that's what God's done with our sin. He's removed them. He's taken them away. He's washed them away. Anybody thankful this weekend for grace that takes our sin and pushes it the opposite direction and gives us new life, right? Because here it is, number five, here it is, number five, and then I'm shutting it down. Because here's, here's the math equation. And it doesn't make sense in our own humanity, but it makes sense in divinity. Grace is greater than sin. Hey, friends, grace is greater than sin. Hey, grace is greater than sin. Hey, I have incredible news this weekend, chapel. Grace is greater than all of our sin. And when David had piled up the mistakes, Nathan said, you did wrong. Repent. There were still going to be some consequences, some brokenness there. But he said, listen, there's going to be forgiveness for you. The Lord's taken away your sin. In fact, it's right after this that David, Psalm 51 says, Create in me a clean heart, Lord, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Don't remove your spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation.
Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. Now, let me tell you why that's huge. Because religion says when you mess up, you can't have joy because you messed up. Grace says you've been forgiven. You better be joyful. <laughs> I remember one time we were uh, driving to the beach in uh, one of the beaches in Delaware. And there's this little... You'd be going like 45 mile an hour roads and they drop to 25 miles an hour. How many have ever been in those little towns, right? You're like cruising along, all of a sudden it's 25. And you know, they, they fund the whole town based upon people driving there, right? And I get pulled over and the officer says, do you know how fast you were going? I said, probably like, I don't know. It felt like I was walking. He said, you're doing 37 in a 25. And I was like, had you seen me miles ago? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he saw all the kids and the, the you know, and I, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm a pastor. And uh, no. <laughs> saw all the kids. And you know what? You're going to the beach. Yeah, we're going to the beach. And we're, he, you know, I'm going to let you go because you just, just turned from, so I'm going to just let you. You ever been let go of something and you just, you just, I just drove away. I was, so, it, I was happier as though, even if I hadn't been stopped, I wouldn't have been that happy. Something about getting stopped and then set free. I just whistled. I think, ah, why is your day so good? Because I, I just got, hey, great news. We've been let go. We were guilty. We exceeded the speed limit. But his grace is greater than all our sins. Come on, let's give God praise for that today, can we? Because grace, grace goes for conviction, not condemnation. Grace doesn't say stay there in that place. Grace says come to a new place. Grace doesn't say you are bad. It says God is good and he gives us forgiveness. In fact, do you know this? All of our human relationships are built upon this fact. That in our divine relationship, we all offended God. We broke his law. We broke his commandments. Every one of us has broken one of the Ten Commandments. How many of you here this morning, you've broken one of the Ten Commandments? Come on, raise your hand. Broke it. In fact, the Bible says if you say you haven't, then you just lied. And guess what? It's one of the Ten Commandments. But the good news of the Bible is that God doesn't condemn us or reject us. He does the unthinkable. He says, I'll be punished for your sin. And the guilty or the innocent is punished for the guilty so that the guilty might be declared innocent. And that can be your story today if you don't know that. In fact, I'm going to pray in just a second. I'm going to turn it over to downtown in just a second. But I want to give us an opportunity here this weekend. If you're here and you're not sure where you're at with God, Grace, grace is good news for joy that can be regained in your life because you don't have to fix yourself. God can do that for you. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Would you bow your heads with me downtown this morning? No one's looking around. I'm not going to embarrass you, ask you to walk to the front or anything like that. But I would love this weekend to just take a second and pray for anyone here this weekend that you say you're far away from God. Maybe you used to have a relationship with him and you walked away from it. Or maybe, to be honest, you don't even know if you've ever had a relationship like that. The story of the Bible is Jesus died for our sin. And by trusting in that, 
you can have grace and forgiveness. No one's looking around, but if you're here this weekend, you say, Brandon, that's me. Would you pray for me? I don't think my heart's right with God. Would you just raise your hand? Nobody's looking around. Just raise your hand. Yes. Are there others? Just raise your hand. Yep. Yes. Are there others? Yes. Anybody else? Just raise your hand up high and say, Brandon, yes, 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 yes. Anybody else? Yes. 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 Anybody else? Just raise your hand. Yes. Thank you. Anybody else? Yep. Yes. 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 Yeah. Thanks in the back. Thank you for that. I'm going to just lead us in a prayer. It's not special words, but it's um, if you mean it in the heart, from the heart, God will hear you. He can, he can rescue you and change your life. Go on downtown south. I'm going to pray this prayer out loud. And why don't you do this? Why don't everybody pray it out loud with us together so nobody has to feel singled out. And, and if you're one of the people that raised your hand, God will hear this. He can change your life today. Come on, let's pray it out loud together. Lord Jesus, I've made a mess. Sometimes I've done the wrong thing. But today... I know you died on a cross and rose from the dead for my forgiveness. So today I confess you as Lord. Today I invite you into my life. Take every part of me. Forgive me for the wrong things I've done and come into my life. I turn away from my sin and I turn to you. Rescue me, I pray. Save me, I pray. Come and live on the inside of me. I make you my Lord and the treasure of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, chapel, a ton of people took steps in their faith this weekend. Come on, let's tell them that. Thankful for that. I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Jason downtown.